Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome Stuart Black, author of two novels. In 2003, he had a manuscript shortlisted for the New South Wales Writer Centre Popular Fiction Competition, and in 2009, published the psychological thriller Shallow Water. Stuart's second novel, The Signatory, which we will be discussing today, is based on his intimate knowledge of the international corporate world. Sounds Dirty already. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart Black. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. I don't know why whenever you say corporate world, we start thinking, you know, really dark things. So we'll definitely get into that conversation, which uh, nothing better than that intimate, uh, intimate knowledge that you have. Well, yes, and there are dark corners I think, <laughs> in terms of that world. <laughs> well, we'll get into all of that later. First of all, for the signature, can you give us an elevator pitch? Yeah, no problem. So um, at its heart, the book's about power and people who have power, who abuse that power. Um, The protagonist is a guy named Sam Pride, and he's just sold the ad agency he started for a lot of money. Feels like all his dreams have come true. He's married to a woman he loves, um, and he suddenly has the financial freedom to do whatever he wants with his life. But things aren't quite as they appear. So particularly regarding the the company that acquired Sam's Australian business. So suddenly his picture-perfect world, if you like, starts crumbling around him and uh, and there are serious crimes that have been committed. There's fraud, there's kidnap, there's murder, serious stuff going on and, and serious people who will do anything to cover up those crimes. Now Sam needs to work out what really matters to him, who really matters to him, And in a way he never has before, he has to really fight for what he believes in or lose everything. Great elevator pitch. I feel like you've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) I might have once, but (laughs) still still pretty new. It's not out yet. So so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun talking about it. Now, I know we touched on a little bit your intimate knowledge of the corporate world, but not everybody works in the corporate world as it inspired to write like a thriller crime novel. So tell me, what was it that triggered this idea apart from, you know, you working in that sort of landscape? Yeah, sure. So, I, I mean, I think it's a thing that's been building up in me for a long time, which is, or a concern that I've had for a long time, which is the way basically people who are in positions of power, and it doesn't have to be, at a grand scale, it can be local, it can be any sort of relationship that you're having with somebody who's essentially bigger than you. So it could be you as a tenant, it's your landlord, it could be you're a supplier of a particular service to whatever local company, but it can also be at a grand scale. And the way some people, when they've got that position of power, 
will abuse it and and willingly hurt others. And um, that's just something I've I found shocking in the business world. I mean, it, it shouldn't be shocking. I've been doing it for a long time, but it still does amaze me when you see people do that. When and even when you sort of think they're going to get caught out, and they'll still do it. They'll still think, you know, it's okay because. It's just business, um, you know, as 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 per that famous Michael Corleone line from The Godfather. But it's not, I mean, if if you're a relatively small player, it's not just business. It's actually personal, you know. Like if someone, you know, I, I run a company and, and if someone hurts me, then potentially, you know, I might have to let go of an employee or, you know, I could lose my job, you know, the company could collapse or whatever. So... So it's personal, it, it matters. And I also don't think you have to be a nasty piece of work to, to you know, to be in business. So it is it is extraordinary the way some people operate. And that's that's the thing that I wanted to talk about. And I'm interested because I, I do hope that people are inherently good, right? You have to try and convince yourself of this or it's hard to wake up in the morning. But power is something, power and money is something that, I think has a tendency to change people, not for the better. <laughs> so do you think, you know, that kind of um, need for power and treating people poorly, do you think that's inside us and is brought out by money and power? Or what do you think the psychology of that is in terms of being a human? Yeah, so to, to your point, I mean, I, I don't think anyone is born bad. I, I think, you know, it just, it depends on the way you grow up and, and the values you end up having and, and also what you know i mean that thing is sometimes um you know a person's propensity to act in a bad way isn't isn't seen until they're thrown in that position so until you know they're they're suddenly in a position where they could they could really hurt somebody else in terms of their actions um and it is it is funny i mean i i remember when i first started out in advertising and you know there were people who would say you know the way to manage an agency successfully is to instill fear in you in your employees. To in other words, to to be constantly threatening them, and I always thought that was disgusting. And I and I also thought, if you're good at your job, like why would you want to work at a place like that? But people did, and part of the reason I think they did was because they too thought that that's actually a formula for success. Um, so there are, as I say, there are these people out there who think that that's the way you have to be in business, that business is war, if you like. And I just reject that completely. Mm. And I think that the nice thing is that if you if you end up sort of, you know, being decent to your employees and you, and you sort of conduct yourself in a way where you're trying not to hurt other human beings, then I think what's, what's really nice, and going back to, to your thing about are people inherently good or bad, what's really lovely is if you do act in a decent way, then you end up finding there are some other people who actually are decent and care about that. And over the years now, as I say, I've been doing this a long time, what's really nice is when often someone supports you in a way which you won't have expected and you might not even see. So it might be behind the scenes, you're pitching for a business and it turns out that a client who you used to work with puts in a good word and you, you, know, you win a piece of business. And that sort of thing in terms of those long-term relationships, that's that's satisfying. So that's the upside. That's um that's not so much reflected in, in the novel. The novel's a little bit more about the people who are not so much like that. But of course, there are there are people who who act in a good way, but it's uh it's it's the ones doing the wrong thing who are kind of 
taking centre stage, certainly mm. <laughs> for a large chunk of the novel. It's it's just so strange, isn't it, that that philosophy is to just go and instill fear in people. You know, it mustn't be very good to have to do that. It's definitely not good being on the receiving end. And like you said, I don't know, I feel like it's something left over from the 80s that sometimes we still carry in our corporate world. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I mean, but I, I guess, I mean, we see it sort of globally, you know, you see it on, mm. on your news screen, you know, you mm. see it in terms of a country going to war where you sort of think, really you know is do you, you know isn't there another way and that sort of thing and so like for me everything sort of starts at a local level you know in, in your own home then with your neighbors then your community and then you know at a broader broader level and um and yeah it just feels like all the time we're we're seeing these examples of people who will yeah will act in a way where you sort of go wait a second but if you if you keep going in that direction then you know that people are going to be harmed mm. and uh yeah I, I guess I guess in terms of you know if you're a political leader and you're choosing to invade another country or something then it's it's all out in the open it's on your news screens <laughs> and things like that but one of the reasons for telling this story in terms of the signatory and and my story if you mm. like is because often in business things stay behind closed doors and I think that's the kind of thing that I, I found interesting and, and kind of making it worthwhile. You know, there are some people doing some some nasty things behind closed doors and some of them never get found out. Mm, that's right. Now, you could have written a romance novel, you could have written a memoir, but you decided to go for crime thriller. What is it about this genre that appealed to you as a writer? Um, I think it's a couple of different things. I mean, I think it, it's it's entertaining. So my first my first job I, I feel as a as a writer is to to entertain a reader. So you've got to you know, you've got to give the reader something that makes them want to turn that first page and get to the second one and so on. And I and I do think you know there there are so many people who don't read. So and and so many people who are pressed for time and things. So you've got to you've got to give them something they can they can devour and enjoy and and get stuck into. So crime can work well in terms of that. The thriller does have that that sense of I don't know. For me, thrillers are relatively easy to read compared to compared to some other genres. Um, the other thing is I I think it packs a punch, and I I like that. I like the fact that. You know, you can do some weighty stuff in there, and 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 I like a little bit of action. I I sort of, I don't really need you know thirty pages worth of a description of the color of the snow. Um, that's not really my sort of cup of tea. You know, <laughs> like, imagine thirty pages of the color of the snow. That'd be yeah. quite hard to do. <laughs> Indeed, or a tree, or <laughs> and you're right. I wouldn't be interested in that either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I I mean I do find I. You know the the action, the the fact that things are happening and 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 there are people's lives at stake. I mean, yeah, I, I find that kind of fun too. Um, so even though you kind of might say that's a little bit sick to to find you know a story with murder and crime in it, you know, fun, but it it's you know it's engaging and it's involving. I mm. hope. Yeah, well, that's certainly why I love crime and thrillers. It is my favourite genre. It's, um, you know, exploring all that dark side and, and what humans are capable of, you know, because I think a lot of us say, oh, no, you know, we're, we're good people, etc. but you never know how anyone would react in specific situations. So it's a really interesting question, what power, what money, what pressure does to you? Yeah, absolutely. And and to, to your point, uh, you know, where it's when you're put in that situation where, you know, either it can be, say, temptation, like temptation to commit mm. a crime to, to 
to get money or something like that. But there can also be a scenario where, you know, you're acting and it might be breaking the law in order to do something that you think is a, is a good thing. So in other words, you're you're trying to protect somebody and so you know you commit a crime because of like that's in other words there's there's a motive that's not too bad or it doesn't it's like seem a, a moral to ambiguity yeah for sure yeah and i think um often you know good crime writing has a bit of that sort of thing mm-hmm. in it where there are there are kind of two sides to it and I, I think i mean one of the things in in the signatory that i was trying to sort of capture and 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 again it's a thing that i find really interesting is You've got the enablers, so those people behind the scenes who basically they they don't actually break the law, but they create an environment where that criminal can succeed. Mm-hmm. So some some bad stuff can flow from that. And again, that's sort of a really interesting thing to me in in the business world and outside the business world. The that thing of um, you know what are people willing to do? Where okay, they're not committing a crime here, but they are doing something that we all know is unethical and then from there once you start going in that direction and you start saying it's okay it's just business I didn't commit a crime so that justifies what what I've done here and then suddenly you you know you find another person put in that sort of circumstance or, or going forward with that then commits like a a really bad crime and uh and so that that enabler to me you know, has to take some of the responsibility for for what's mm, what's absolutely. ultimately happened. Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell me about the development of your character, Sam. I mean, it's important to make characters likable, but we do have that shade of moral ambiguity as well. So, tell us about balancing all of that. Yeah. So, I mean, Sam. I mean, one of the things I was trying to do um, in terms of the, the storytelling was was capture a little bit of a, what it's like to run a company so it's in this case it's an ad agency so that's that's what I actually do day to day so um so I, I run an agency in in Sydney and in Singapore and um and there are things that go on in that world in terms of the pressures you're under so and that's where some of the subplots sort of come from just things that are going on which um hopefully sort of create authenticity in terms of the story and, and credibility and, and kind of anchor it if you like because that that's my my real world, my day to day world, where um, a lot of what you do, I think, if if you're a boss of a, a, a well, it doesn't matter if it's a small company or a big company, but you're you're often putting out fires, right? That's that's kind of I think that's the majority of what I do. So in other words, you know, um, you're creating a new campaign, um, it's not gone over the line, or the clients complained about it, or something's gone wrong with the the production, or or whatever, so something goes wrong and your your job is essentially to fix it or there's been a contractual issue or somebody's unhappy with what somebody else in the company's done or, you know, all that sort of stuff. There are fires burning and you've got to put them out. So that to me is a key part of, of Sam's character, Sam's Sam's world. And I think what, what I quite like the idea of is that at the start of the novel or in the early stages, um, Sam's Sam's kind of going. I mean, part of the reason for him having the surname Pride is the notion of Pride before a fall. So his his world is going perfectly. He's happy. Everything's good, and then he's tested. So that's part of part of the dynamic of the story as well, where you've kind of got a a guy who who doesn't seem too extreme. I mean, he's been successful. He worked hard. He sort of suddenly sold this agency and whatever. 
but he hasn't really been morally tested. He hasn't he hasn't had his life or his wife's life threatened. And so suddenly he's in that position where he's in a fight for his life and a fight to, to protect his wife. And, and indeed his wife is fighting to protect him as well. And um, so that's that's kind of key to what's going on there. And and you have some things in the story which he does, which are good and right, and you have some some mistakes he might said some things where you look at and go oh I don't know if I'd do that and uh and so he has to deal with all that and I think it's very human though and I think that's what we look to in our characters particularly in crimes I think we're looking for that character who is tested and you know how far do they go how far are they willing to go but what's at stake for them because that matters as well because sometimes the further you go it's because you've got more at stake yeah, well, absolutely, and so, and and what happens with Sam in the novel is he's got a very specific conflict going on in terms of his emotional, in terms of what are what are his drivers. So, um, you know, one of the things that happens is, you know, he he loses someone close to him. So there's there's a sense of wanting revenge, and and revenge, I think, can can also make you try and justify to yourself doing some things that, that you might not otherwise do. Um, but then that comes in into conflict with the notion of putting his family, well, his wife and, and himself, but in particular his wife, in danger. And so that that I think is interesting. And um and yeah, he um well I I, I don't want to give away the no, plot too spoilers. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But but the idea there's conflict there and and he you know, he he makes some mistakes along the way, and uh, and you know, hopefully he learns something as he goes along. Don't we all make mistakes? Don't we all hope we learn from them as well? <laughs> well Debbie, we all make mistakes. Some of us, some of us learn some of the time. And some of the time, we have to repeat the mistakes often before, right. before we find the right way forward. <laughs> now, what was your greatest challenge when writing this book? Um, I th- I think I mean t- to me, it's it's always the rewriting. So. So to me, that first draft is is kind of fun because you're telling a story. And I mean, it, it also changes because by the time you're getting to later drafts, you're interacting with other people, an editor, a publisher, whatnot. Um, but in the in that first stage, um, you know, it's it's kind of really just fun and it's the the power of your imagination and, and bringing a story to life that you want to tell. So the, the challenge, I think, for me is that rewriting where, um, so for example, um, it changed from um, mostly first person to third person, and um, it was the the publisher who suggested that switch. And I thought, oh no, oh my god, that's so much rewriting. <laughs> and um, and and I, I thought it was an awful suggestion. And then I then I started doing, it and I thought, ah, oh, he's right. It's like it's actually a really good suggestion, and it works much better this story in the third person. So. That kind of rewriting, um, it's massive. Yeah, that kind of rewrite, yeah, yeah. It's 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 extensive, and it's and it's also you know it's relatively dull compared to that that first stage. You know that first stage where you're so excited and, and whatnot, and then you're kind of a lot of what you're doing in the rewriting is a lot more technical, and and you're and you know double checking stuff. I mean, 
proofing at the end like you know it might be different I don't know maybe if you're with a massive publisher as a hundred staff who can do all that stuff for you that would be different but I think for for most writers you have to do quite a bit of proofing yourself and and rereading and that sort of thing and uh and that's hard and especially you know I've, I've got a day job as well so you know you, you're doing this stuff early in the morning or late at night and so um I think that that kind of thing that that rewriting that rereading that's mm. that's that's the toughest bit so do you think the greatest joy is that first draft and then of course when you get your book in the hand but all the middle stuff is that great challenge um yeah it, well exactly so first draft really fun um and then I think the just the, the the first reaction to it that is positive like once you've finished um I'm well it's I mean it's 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 fantastic thing if a, you know if there's a publisher who says I want to publish it then that's obviously that's magic that's fantastic but then after that it's then that that first person the first reader who reads it and says I loved it um because even though you know you've written this thing and uh, you know you could have been doing it for a while and and even though the publishers endorsed it whatever you still you know you don't know how people are going to react and you hope for the best but you you never know It's, it's the thing with art isn't it you write it or you draw it or you create it and then it belongs to the world which is it's hard yeah, well, it, exactly. And um, I used to I used to write a lot of songs when I was young. I used to play in a band and things. And and it was and it always fascinated me the way I mean, you know, like you could you could write a song one day and and you know you play it to friends or the band or whatever, and and they kind of go, yeah, right, okay, that's, um, that's, yeah. And then a different day, you know, you don't try any harder, but you just come up with a a melody or a lyric or whatever, and people hear it and go, wow, that's fabulous. And you yourself, I mean, it didn't require more effort. It was just a, a different thing that happened. Exactly as you say, it's, I think anyone in the arts kind of gets in the creative world. It's like there are things outside your control. You just mm, try and absolutely. do your best and and fingers crossed and hope yeah, someone likes it. Who knows? It. And then even over time, you know, you hear about artists who their work wasn't very celebrated in their lifetime. And then after they pass, their work like Van Gogh you know like he never knew how big he was it's like well it's also sort of not only um you know what people are liking it's it's context and time isn't it well absolutely and 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 also I mean you think of I mean in terms of judging you know work and, and art and things like that you look at I mean all the really successful writers who were rejected by publishers or you look at all the great musicians and songwriters who were rejected by the record companies all that sort of thing like there's mm. you know, it's 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 basically most of the big successes that you yeah, know of. It's they all got rejected by people who went do you know what I'm certain that you're really crap at what you do. <laughs> yeah. and it's like okay and, and you know so you, whether you're you know John Grisham or JK Rowling or whoever it is and they go on and sell you know hundreds of millions of books or you know, or the you know those record companies who rejected the Beatles. It's like mm. clearly they're not going to amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not going to admit it either. You're never going to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, question for you: You talked about writing songs and being musical, and then also writing books as well. And I, I imagine advertising is quite a creative, um, you know, day job as well. So, do you think with creativity they sort of spill into each other and feed and inform each other? Yes, I do, and. Um, and it's sort of interesting, like in terms of um, what motivates me to, and it's, it's the same thing with writing songs, and it's the same thing with with writing books. The 
it it can come from anywhere so it's everything to do with with kind of life you know so um it's just sort of strange you know this thing of where ideas come from like um <laughs> I've had some some real yeah you know, like I was I was talking to my daughter the other day about the thing of suddenly coming up with a, a thought when riding the sort of bike at the gym sort of thing where you I don't know it's like your brain switches off and then like a, a really creative thought comes into it and again it's that thing you, you don't control that it just mm. somehow I don't know you create the space for it and then sometimes it, it happens and sometimes <laughs> it doesn't but yeah I do think creativity you know overlaps and mm. um and to me the 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 link between the songwriting and the and the novel writing is it's just the idea of expressing yourself and, and feeling like you want you want to do that you've got something to say and you want to say it and in both cases in the first instance writing a song or writing a novel you're doing it for yourself at home by yourself and then if you think you've got something that might be any good then you might share it and, and so that there's a similarity in terms of that creative process I think yeah absolutely now the question I ask all the creatives who come onto the podcast is why do you write um I think as as quite a few authors have said before I think it's a compulsion um so and and just like I was saying with the songwriting I mean it it, it starts with the desire to express yourself and and I've had that I think I probably wrote my first song when I was about 12 and um so that's that's a long time ago and uh and so I've kind of been doing that either songwriting or or then after the songwriting novel writing since then and I and there is a strange thing I, I mean I guess it's a bit addictive as well you, once you've started and then particularly if anyone's told you that anything you've done is any good then you, can, <laughs> you get a kick out of that and you think well I want more of that you know it's like a you know a dopamine rush or something mm. and uh, and so that's what makes you keep going and uh, and and I think it's fun yeah, absolutely. I love that compulsion because it absolutely is because, as we know, any sort of creative pursuit is so hard and there is so much rejection and so it has to be a compulsion. I mean, why would you do it otherwise? Well, exactly. I, I mean, you know, my my, my life is I, I think probably anyone who does anything creative, like there's so much rejection and, and I work in a business where you're rejected all the time, like you, mm. you know, you're presenting creative ideas to clients and even you know, with the best will in the world, even if it's a great client and you're very successful in coming up with ideas, they still get rejected most of the time. You know? <laughs> so, so it's it's a big part of what happens, you know, in my day job. And yes, certainly with with songs or with with books, um, you know, it, it's it's very much part and parcel of the sector to to do stuff which gets rejected. So you you've got to yeah you've got to have a thick skin and you've got to just have that that drive and that compulsion to keep doing it. I always find that the great um, you know juxtaposition of creatives having to have that thick skin, but creatives are also very sensitive to the world as well. So balancing the two, I think, is very hard, particularly I think in advertising. So but it was a great read, the signatory, um, and I really enjoyed chatting to it. What I found really interesting was you know the psychology of you know what happens to us when when putting you know, specific predicaments what would we do the moral ambiguity and being tested because I'm, i don't know that we're all tested the way the character sam is but i think you know we do have tests in our lives that you know can change things and can sort of determine not who you are but you know who you are at that time and so i, I find that 
really interesting, um, particularly in those crime thrillers, because that's what they often present to you, those moral as moral questions. And I always find, you know, as the reader, you're questioning yourself. So really interesting. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Danny. No, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, I, I agree that that testing thing, it's its a big thing and it's really fascinating and, and it happens for all of us. And one of the fun thing is fun things is in, in something like a crime novel, and particularly if it's got a bit of a thriller aspect to it, it is like a, a highly charged example of that, a highly yeah. pressurised thing. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of interesting to see. And and I think, yeah, in, in this case with the signature, you've got it, you've got it happening with Sam and with with Lauren as well later on, where she's really tested and ends up doing some stuff that she wouldn't have thought she'd necessarily do. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of I think that's really interesting, and in terms of then the relationship between those characters, mm, and that's what makes this genre so good and so page turning and keeps you going back and back. So thank you so much for your time and getting me to think about you know my own psychology and you know <laughs> what would I do in these situations, which is a tough one. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Danny. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs>